Hi, everyone. Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a healthcare podcast focused on non-clinical career options, career development, and burnout prevention. My name is Mike Asbeck, and I'm joined at least most of the time by John McDonald. John, good morning. It makes it sound like I don't ever do anything, Mike, but I am here in the audience, even if you are. Well, last week I missed, and uh, you called me out for being AWOL. I'd like to push back. It was a scheduled absence. You made it sound like I just didn't show up. That's a very militaristic term, sir. Uh, but <laughs> yes, you were AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> so John, uh, you know, was at the helm last week and did a great episode with Jamie uh, Mulkey, right? Am I saying that right? Oh, my goodness. Well, Jamie, I'm sorry that I can't. Wilkie, thank you. Oh, my goodness. See, I'm not here and everything falls apart because I can't even remember her last name. But this week, we're going to do an off script. As once again, you can probably tell since we're just bantering and drinking coffee. But for those of you that may be unfamiliar, we like to do off scripts to have kind of a behind the scenes look, unedited, completely unfiltered, just more of John and I having a conversation, usually about a singular com- topic or subject. So, John, I once again did not tell you what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to kind of spring it on you. But did you want to hear about the topic or did you want to banter? I want to hear about the topic because bantering usually comes when I've had at least half this glass of coffee. All right. Sounds good. So the thing that I wanted to talk about today, I was thinking about it a little bit over the past week as we we're preparing and thinking about what to talk about, is I want to talk about the role of pay and happiness in your career. So I guess the way that I would frame it to you is, is it worth staying in a high paying job that maybe is not a really good fit for you. And I guess the other way that you could frame it is, you know, does money buy happiness in your career? And once again, I always like to try and pick topics where I think you and I will fall on different sides of this. So I'd love to get your thoughts and then I'll give mine. Okay. First thought is right when you said that, the the figure $70,000 came up in my mind. Because I believe that is, um, there were some studies done where they wanted to find out what was the least amount of money that you could make that once you got over that amount of money, happiness did not increase. And that was $70,000. Now, of course, with inflation now, we can't really say 70000 It's not really the same uh, value in today's system. But the more and more, I think maybe as I get older, uh, I would I would argue to say, as my kids get older and I dive more and more into family life and have those experiences and memories with my kids, uh, I've understood more and more that money definitely doesn't buy the happiness because there are people that are living in a very low socioeconomic state who are very happy. And there are people who have more money than God could shake a stick at who are unhappy. So I would venture to say that money doesn't really do um, jack squat as per happiness goes, but we should be meeting our bare minimums, uh, what we need in life. But we can riff off of that because as you know, Mike, and you listening, I will, my thoughts will develop and my beliefs will develop sometimes as the podcast goes on. Because I'm an external processor, uh, and Mike, I, I would venture to say you're an internal processor. I'm just that compelling that I, I owe <laughs> my side of the argument. Yeah. 
So yes, I agree. I think money does not buy happiness. But I think the caveat to that is a lack of money can contribute to stress or unhappiness. So, you know, if you are not making enough money to meet your basic needs, if you have anxiety over paying the mortgage, over, you know, anxiety over making sure that your basic, you know, life necessities are, are met, then that certainly can cause a ton of negatives. And that's not just necessarily for people that are on the low end of the socioeconomic ladder. Um, if you are a new graduate nurse with $150,000 in debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck because you have a mortgage, because you have that, you are leveraged to the point that it is stressful. So I don't think money necessarily brings happiness, but the lack of it contributes to unhappiness. And the other thing I would say with that, though, is I think it's quite admirable. We always, I think the default answer to this question is, no, money doesn't buy happiness. We shouldn't pursue career moves that are only driven by compensation. And I think that's admirable and that's probably correct. But at the same time, John, would you take 50% of your current pay to go do a job that is your dream healthcare job? No. Right. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't either because I think, well, thankfully, I like what I do. But at the same time, I I think that if I had a job that paid really, really well, but I really just didn't like it, I would hopefully just reprioritize my expectations for what I can get out of my career and maybe find a really good hobby and try and find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment that way because making a lot of money does bring some convenience to life and in leads to maybe things being a little bit easier than making half of it. Uh, right now, I'm on psychology today, and there was a uh, there was an article from February 17th this year, 2023, Does Money Buy Happiness? Mm. And reading from the article, The Truth of Happiness, researchers found two main things. The people living in urban areas and making a lot more money reported lower levels of happiness, yet the people living in more impoverished areas with less income reported higher levels of happiness. Uh, I would say that has to do with community as well, though, mm -hmm. because if you have a, a really high sense of community, uh, you're probably going to be a lot happier because your community is living at the same level. There's not really the keeping up with the Joneses. There's not the, the pressure internal or external, making sure you move into those areas. So it, I think a lot has to do with your environment as, as well. I totally agree. I think, what is it? The more money, more problems. Yeah. Well, you know, my dad had a lot of strange sayings when I was younger. I, I won't tell you all of them today, but one of the ones he, he repeated was, I think we were talking about the Beatles. Um, you know, the song, uh, can't buy me love. We were, we, he had gotten that, um, the 20, 20th year album or something like that. It was like the top 20 songs. Uh, it was called, it's called the one album. And I was like, what, talking about all these songs and it's the first time I've ever heard, really heard the Beatles. It's like, you know what, John? Money doesn't really buy you happiness, but it sure as heck helps. It was like, yeah, that's that was actually some some wisdom uh, coming coming out of Greg's mouth. Like, yeah, it doesn't buy happiness, but it does shed the the issues, especially think about nowadays. How how many times we hear about people going bankrupt over medical issues? because they can't pay for it. Uh, 
it's a big problem in the country today. And there's a lot of buzz about the the healthcare system, why people are go losing all their money, having to file chapter seven or 11 because of medical bills. So yeah, I, I think he was onto something when he said money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure helps. Yeah. So where's the tipping point? That's the question, right? So let's say, you know, if the, the average salary, we'll use PA as an example. So if a PA makes on average, I think it's like 115,000 a year. So let's say I'm working in an ER job that I kind of hate, but I'm making 140 or 150. So I'm well above market. At what point do you say, okay, this added income is not worth it. I need to move into a job that's more fulfilling and take a pay cut to do so. But how do we determine what that pay cut should be? Because I think it's probably reasonable if someone's making 150000 a year that they may say, I'm going to take a $20,000 pay cut to have better work-life balance, to not work nights, weekends, things like that. But like we said earlier, I think most people probably wouldn't cut their pay in half to find that meaning or to find that better balance. So how do we find that? Or maybe what are your thoughts on how we navigate that decision of the balance between maximizing compensation and making sure that we're happy and fulfilled? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit vulnerable here for a moment, Don. Oh, boy. There was a time where I had to... This is unedited, so don't start crying. <laughs> I just know it's fine. <laughs> There was a time where I had to go on disability and you don't make a full paycheck, especially if you have to go past a certain amount of time. Um, so my wife and I had to button up. We had to really say, okay, how are we going to do this? And we didn't. So uh, we lived on a lot less than we normally make. And it was stressful at first, but it got to a point where it was normal life for us, where we weren't, I'll tell you, one of our one of our favorite things to get was some, get a bottle of cab, uh, or Carolyn loves Apothic Crush. We would get some brie, uh, we'd get a, like this wine-soaked cheese, we would get caramel dip and pita, like we loved that for our date nights. Now, that was costing a pretty penny just to sit at home and watch something eating that. So we had to forego some of that, but we found other things and other ways to enjoy our time together and not have to spend as much money. And it got to a point where that, like I mentioned, we, it was normal life and we didn't feel like we were missing out on anything. So sometimes, I mean, at least it took me being pressured into that situation to have to accept it where some people are trying to make that decision and seeing if it's worth it. Um, all that to say, I want to wrap it up in a bow and say that you can live on a lot less than you think. And it doesn't have to necessarily align with happiness, but we're going to, let's be honest here, Mike, we're not talking to uh, a mostly blue collar career folks. This is a very white collar audience because we're in healthcare. We are most of the time making over that $70,000, $75,000 minimum. So most of the time, no matter where you work, unless you can't work anymore, you're probably going to be above that threshold to which people say you can't 
you're not going to be any happier over this threshold. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so one of the reasons I have been thinking about this is my sister, who interestingly is our editor and producer. So she doesn't know this, but we're going to talk about her. And this is an unedited one, so she might not even ever know. But my sister in her day job recently just switched and she took a pay cut because she's going from a job that offers immense opportunity for overtime, but was also shift work. She would have to work nights, weekends, holidays. And now she's moving to a more traditional office job within the company where it's nine to five, Monday through Friday, much greater flexibility, I think, to work from home and have more you know, opportunity to kind of set your schedule. But she's taken a pay cut to do it. And for her, it was a no brainer because having her schedule be more predictable, being able to say, okay, I'm no longer going to work nights or weekends. She's, you know, in her late 20s and getting to the point that I think um, mid 20s, but I don't want to be offensive to her, Uh, you know, getting to the point where she doesn't want to be working on a Friday night. She'd rather, you know, be able to have predictability and be able to schedule plans and do things with friends. So in her case, it was easy for her to make the decision to take a pay cut. Now, the flip side to that is she has you know lower expenses than someone with a mortgage, with kids, with other things that may prevent that. But I think you're right. Um, I think so often we become acclimated to our current lifestyle. And because of that, we feel almost that we're prisoners of that. You know, we, we have, you know, the nice cars, we have the big house. And you had even mentioned in a previous episode that you and your wife had downsized to a, a smaller house because you didn't want to be slaves to the mortgage payment and keep up with the Joneses. And I think that's a hard thing to do. In America, we're so materialistic and we're also so defined by our careers. You know, oh, what do you do? I'm a accountant. I'm a PA. I'm a pharmacist. Where when we define ourselves by what we do, but then also define ourselves by our material gains, it's hard to take a step backwards, but very often you're right. I don't think happiness is driven by what car we drive, but rather the people that we're with, the time that we spend with the people that we value, family, friends, things like that. So maybe there are people out there that absolutely would find greater happiness taking a 50% pay cut, but man, that would be that would be hard to do. That would be some real tough life decisions if you're trying to half your income by 50%. Well, I'm going to uh, pivot a bit. Because when we're talking about money, we're talking about things that we value. Let's pivot to the conversation on value systems. Uh, because when you are in a pressured environment, say, say you're a doctor surrounded by other doctors, maybe a surgeons, and you're making, you know, some of these guys are making three, four hundred thousand dollars, and a lot of them still have debt because of their school loans or maybe some business decisions, um, maybe opportunity costs because you went to residency for so long. Whatever the reason is, uh, there are a lot of these physicians that are in debt. However, you surround yourself with these folks who do have the nicer houses, the um, fun toys, boats, ATVs, motorcycles, whatever this is. To be the odd one out can put you in a uh, a different psychological position because you're thinking, what's wrong with me? Uh, I don't seem to be in the same place as my colleagues. So when you surround yourself with these, these people, um, 
you have to start questioning your value systems. What do you actually value? It took me a long time to understand that I don't value the things I thought I did. Um, and it took a lot of internal work. Uh, I think everybody should uh, ha at least have tried therapy once in their life or continue to do it. And I've done that as well. So I've had to do a lot of this reflection and understanding that I really had to, and I still have to sit with my my thoughts on value systems and what do I value, what brings me true happiness. Uh, it's not easy to get to the bottom of that, but it's a challenge for, for, for you listening today is really sit in silence, really find out what is valuable to you because if you can really lean into that, uh, I can almost guarantee you it's not money. And if money is your value system, um, you're kind of you're kind of chasing a falling star. Like you're not you're not going to really catch that. I agree. I, I think maybe that's the real conversation. It sounds like we're both kind of focused on spending as opposed to income. Where if you can keep your spending below what you make, and certainly you can. Like like you said, we're we're generally you know of a profession or a group of professions that is relatively high income earning compared to the average American. So if the average American makes, I think, 60000 a year, you know, going from a $150,000 job to a $100,000 job, it sounds like a huge reduction, and it is, but it's doable. Um, I think what I would say with that is that when you're a new graduate, especially, making sure that you're very careful about those decisions. Like you said, it's so easy as a 22, 23-year-old, I'm thinking of PAs, NPs, nurses that come out and everyone around them is driving BMWs or Mercedes to think, well, this is what you do. I've worked hard. I've earned this. But at the same time, those people around you probably can't afford what they're doing either. You know, physicians, I, I always think about physicians because they are very high income earners and yet notoriously um, often are very bad with money. I, and I know statistically, most people in the U.S. are bad with money and, you know, most people can't even, uh, you know, shoulder a thousand dollar unexpected expense. So that, that keeping up with the Joneses in healthcare is a really, really powerful draw. And I think when you are early on in your career, if you're able to resist that, if you're able to find those values, like you said, find the things that bring you joy, find the things that are important to you. Because certainly, if you are a motorhead and you really love cars, it's not a bad thing to spend money on a car. Uh, we're not you know, here to say that everybody should be living Dave Ramsey and eating rice and beans forever. At some point, you should enjoy the fruits of your labor. But making sure that you're doing so in a responsible and balanced way, I think, is the key. And that's hard to do. You and I are also coming from a perspective of having four kids, being married for quite a long time, Mike. They're the same same conversation because I have friends who, who are both in, in we'll call them white coat jobs and they're, they don't have kids and they don't plan on having kids. They make great money. They've got great toys, houses, and they are still saving money. It's, this might not apply to you guys listening. It's like, it's okay to spend your money and enjoy yourself and still put your money away. You and I are now in a position where we will always have kids. Like we're that's our life has forever changed. Uh, they might go out of the house, but when when they leave the home and if they get married and have kids, we're going to be watching their kids. Like our lives are forever changed. 
Um, so hear me when I say spending money isn't bad at all. It's really just about what Mike said is it's your means. Are you living uh, within your means? And are you spending money where your value system lies? I think there's a huge opportunity cost that comes with living outside of your means. Because if you are, let's say you get caught in that healthcare keeping up with the Joneses trap. So you are maybe five or six years into your career and you have a car payment that's over $1,000 because cars are freaking expensive these days. You bought a big, beautiful house that you maybe really couldn't afford, but you, you know, well, I, I'm in healthcare. I deserve it. And then student loans are kicking in post-pandemic and everything is just starting to really crush you. The tough thing, I think, in a situation like that is you may miss out on opportunities to advance your career because you can't take financial risk. So often, I think, in any careers, but certainly in healthcare, there's some level of, you know, kind of leaping over the edge with both feet before you know how what the landing is going to look like. And especially if you're looking at entrepreneurial opportunities or non-clinical roles, we've talked about it in previous episodes. If you wanted to become an MSL, very often your first MSL job may require you to take a pay cut. I think most people are willing to do that because MSL is one of the most in, um, desired non-clinical roles for healthcare professionals in part because it's very flexible to usually work from home. It is a really, really nice work-life balance, but there's also immense upward mobility and opportunity to move up the chain. But that first job may be a pay cut. If you are so burdened with spending or keeping up with the Joneses or you know the lifestyle that you become accustomed to, you may not be able to or be willing to take that leap in your career if it requires you to have some sacrifice. So I think having flexibility. It doesn't necessarily mean don't spend, but to be to be able to say, hey, you know what? I really enjoy these jet skis, but if I take this new job, we're going to sell the jet skis so that I can take a pay cut, but hopefully five years down the road, this is going to pay off and we'll own four jet skis. I think that's a hard thing to do. And thinking about it in that way, thinking kind of five years out or thinking about short-term sacrifice from a career perspective for hopeful long-term gains can maybe put it in better perspective. Uh, I I want to make a comment based off another off script we had recently. We talked about when what we would change about the healthcare system. I had a conversation recently with, I, I'm not going to, uh, I want to leave this person out of it. So I'm not going to talk about their title. We'll just say that they're in administration and in a director role uh, with uh, the regional health system. When I was mentioning RRH, Rochester Regional Health, and the nursing and the, the pension <laughs> strike, well, when I upon further conversation, I found out that the the conversations in the news versus what nurses were saying versus what administration saying, nothing was ever as it seems, uh, because what this person told me was that the nurses who are working with the union on increasing the wages are looking for an additional $10 an hour uh, increase where they've already, I think they were already had three raises since the pandemic. And so with this potential raise, they were going to be making the most money uh, across the whole nation for nurses. They were going to have the highest salary. And so now my perspective has changed a bit. Uh, because I only had a little bit of the uh, of the picture, a small part of the picture. 
So it's like, okay, um, nothing is as it seems, guys. Like, you really need to do the research yourself. Like, this is just me being a little bit more transparent saying, I really thought it was that way, and this has to do with finances. I talked to somebody else about it, and it looks like the picture is a little bit different. It's the same with this, is you really have to do your homework because, again, the people that you surround yourself with, whether it be at home or at work, uh, the financial picture the financial picture may not look as it seems. So do the digging. Don't take things at face value because I think you're probably going to be disappointed or, like me, have to retract something you said. So the last thing I'm thinking about it that I want to make sure that we talk about is the constant pull of employers to have you sacrifice at the job, you know, oh, be a team player. Oh, just stay a little bit later. Don't you want to do this for your patients? And the reason I thought about it is when we talked in that previous off script about the nurse strike, you had indicated that Rochester Regional Health had put out a statement about their disappointment that nurses were willing to walk away from their patients. And certainly, you know, there's going to be rhetoric like that on either side. But it got me thinking that so often, every single person listening to this, you, John, me, have had situations where our employer has asked us to do something that is maybe beyond our job description or beyond our responsibilities. And it's done, you know, either just because there's maybe short staffing. So it's, hey, can you stay for an extra shift or can you just cover this? Can you do that? And I think that's hard because in healthcare, it's much more difficult to say, nope, not my job. It's not my job to you know be responsible for your staffing inadequacy. It's not my job to, to stay late or lose family time because you didn't get the task done in the proper time. I think if you're in a more traditional role, it's much easier to do that. Say, oh, no, sorry. You know, it's five o'clock. I already have plans tonight. I can pick this up Monday morning. But when it's patient care, when it's, you know, hey, the pharmacy is going to shut down if you're not here. People might not get their medication. They may go into withdrawal. They may end up in the hospital. Uh, you know, patients may not receive care. The, the nursing floor is going to be understaffed if you don't stay. It's really hard to say no to that because we we want to have boundaries we want to have balance but at the same time i think every single one of us is in healthcare for a reason and the purpose of us being in healthcare is to improve patients lives and and help them in their time of need so i don't know if i have a good answer but i'm just thinking about it within the sense that you know we constantly are talking about you know maximizing compensation versus finding meaning and purpose and even within our current roles i think it's always hard on a day-to-day basis to find that balance of saying you know do i continue to grind and take on extra tasks and sit on extra committees and be that guy that always says yes at at work because i want to a, either a be a good team player or maybe b move up the ladder or b do i have balance and say, nope, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. That's outside of my scope. That's outside of my job. That's not something that I'm able to do. When it's constantly asked of us, I don't know. It's it's a hard thing. So I don't necessarily have a good answer, but I wanted to at least present it and get your thoughts because I know every single person in healthcare has had those boundary creeps where they're asked to do more, even if it's not compensated work or if it's outside of their job description. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap that up into one question then. Thank you, because I, I well, up to John, I was very rambling there. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit better. <laughs> uh, 
So what I'm hearing you ask is, how do we balance our lives when the demand at work can be a lot more than maybe we can handle? I like it. Okay. So there, I think we all know people who, who grind, 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 and it never seems to affect them. Um, and their family's okay with it. Uh, maybe they don't have children. Maybe they're single. Maybe they're dual income, no kids, whatever that be. Their family life is set up where that's just how they are. And it's just completely fine. And it does not affect their mental health. Now, once it starts affecting your mental health, which in of itself has its own subcategories as, is it affecting your children? Is it affecting your wife, your husband, your spouse, your partner? Is it affecting your relationship with your parents? Is it affecting your ability to enjoy the things that you love at home? Uh, are you becoming more stressed, depressed, anxious, whatever it may be? If it's affecting you in those ways negatively, yes, then it's time to take a look at it. But if you find I, how many people back in our parents' day or grandparents' day just grinded, 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 and all they wanted to do was go home and have a Miller Lite at the end of the day and watch a bowling. Like some people are just satisfied with that, and that's completely fine. So I would, I would say, uh, Mike, kind of posing the question back to you: Is it okay that we make decisions based off of our family situations and mental health alone? Yes, of course. We, we talk about career development so often on this podcast, and I think a lot of the reason for that is that if you have a career that's meaningful and gives purpose, that gets you excited to get out of bed every day, that's going to be a really big contributor to you living a life of uh, satisfaction. It's hard to do that if you don't like your job, but you're absolutely right. Our grandparents generally worked blue collar jobs, or at least on my family. You know, my, my grandfather was a German immigrant who didn't speak English and worked a factory job, even though he was a tailor and found incredible meaning and purpose in his life, just didn't come from his job. And that's fine. So I think that's absolutely correct. It is completely fine to value or prioritize other things. And I, I like that we've been maybe emphasizing that more recently because it's good that we continue to talk about opportunities to advance your career, opportunities to increase compensation, to increase your value, increase your satisfaction in your job. But that should not come at the cost of your personal life. And to some degree, it does. I, I'm a big believer that success in a career will come with personal sacrifice. People that really achieve, you know, the 1% in terms of earners in this country are not lucky. They're not getting there, you know, accidentally. They're getting there with a lot of personal cost and sacrifice. And for for most of them, I would hope that they would look at that and say, this was worth it. I am doing something meaningful or this is something that I really enjoy and it really gives me purpose. Some of them probably would not. And we talked about deathbed regrets in a previous episode. But I think just constantly assessing Am I happy with my compensation? Am I happy with my work-life balance? Am I happy with the trade-offs that I'm making for this maybe higher level of compensation? I think always doing these level checks is not a bad thing, either both personally and professionally, to make sure that you're still content with where you're at, you're content with what you aspire to be. Um, and if you're not, 
you think about how you can make those changes or what adjustments you can make either personally or professionally to get to that point of finding contentment. I, I am going to kick back for one second because I'm going to be scrupulous uh, and nitpicky and say, I, I can't agree with your comment about the 1%. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Just because there's, I mean, I've I've read too much recently about financial history and policies, government policies, tax policies, um, how these things have worked out. Uh, the 1% may be a poor example of how people got to where they are uh, because there are many, I would what I would say, amoral decisions and choices and policies that were made to give the 1% the position that they're in. However, when we're talking about the people making between $204,000 and $400,000 a year, they are not considered the 1%. Um, they're considered 1% of the world, but not 1% of the United States. Uh, they still are under the massive gap that exists between the 99 and the 1%. So it's hard to look at the JP Morgans, uh, the Rockefellers, those families and say, you can make it to that uh, because it's not always grit. Sometimes it, it is luck and it sometimes it is the family situation that you were put into. But among the communities that we live in, that's why I keep on stressing, be aware of the community you're living in, be aware of who you surround yourself with, because you are not surrounding yourself with people who are making a million plus a year most of the time. At least those listening to this podcast, uh, you, you're probably not uh, divested from a major pharmaceutical corporation and you're living on billions of dollars. Um, be aware of who you're around, what you're around and what the people around you value and really sit and say, do I value the same things as the people I'm around? And if not, maybe you should take a step back from that community and find where you truly find rest, find those people that you want to spend time with, find the hobbies that you can afford and that you can find happiness, value and relaxation. Yeah, so maybe we reframe it of when I refer to top 1%, I'm not necessarily talking about um, E1%. No, no, I, you know, top 1% of income earner is not necessarily top 1% in terms of wealth. Uh, because I want to be, yeah, I to be I, it's good to be specific there. So top 1% of income earners is $650,000, which is an incredible amount of money. But if you're making 500 to a million a year in the US, usually you're you're on those upper tiers where you are you know a surgeon a physician uh, maybe a, a partner at a legal firm you're still probably grinding it out i would argue that when you get beyond a million a year those are probably entrepreneurs it's very hard that's your life yeah it's very hard to work, make over a million a year in a professional capacity unless you own something um so i think about that top one percent is being those those people that have just you know, achieve the pinnacle of their career as physicians, as lawyers, mm -hmm. um, optometrists, whatever you, you, you know, as mechanics, whatever it may be where they're at that top tier. But I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's good to maybe differentiate that from generational wealth or inherited wealth, which certainly um, can reside in that top 1% if we're looking at wealth, not just income. And I apologize if that's exactly where you're going. I was trying to... It's a good clarification. I Especially for, you know, I know you're, you're our, our closet socialist, so it's always, <laughs> <Don't>. 
<laughs> let my dad know that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's switch to personal items. So anything fun or interesting there? You want me to go first? No, you. Yeah, I'm always going first. I want you to go first. Okay. Sounds good. So I, I've got an interesting personal item. So we are still in August. Our, our recording schedule has been chaotic. We're basically trying to put down as many uh, recording episodes as possible during the summer when things are maybe a little bit slower because I think for you as well, John, but fall is the busiest time of year for me. So we're trying to get ahead of things so that we can make sure that we are maintaining that good work-life balance. So we're recording this in August. I don't think this one's going to release until September, but I just came back from vacation and it was wonderful. But halfway through the vacation, I got pink eye in both of my eyes. So the big debate is, <laughs> so we were at the ocean and uh, I was in the ocean every day. So I don't know if like it was from the water or what happened. I also have a three-year-old that is newly potty trained and, you know, needs butt wiping. So I don't know if, uh, if I contaminated my own eyes after wiping my three-year-old's butt or if it was in the ocean, but either way, second half of vacation, I could barely see. My eyes were, uh, it felt like really, really bad allergies and burning all at the same time. So if, you know, the, the 12 people that watch us on YouTube, you can see my eyes. It looks like I've maybe uh, engaged in a little I bit. Was gonna say, I was going to say. Oregano consumption. Yes. Yeah. Is yeah. there a bowl involved in this? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, Three days into the antibiotics, I think I'm not contagious, so I'm at work seeing patients today, but I am still being cautious to try and not touch my eyes and make sure that I'm not, you know, shaking hands with patients or anything like that. But yeah, never a dull day, uh, even on vacation. You you never know what's going to happen. So how about you? Uh, I was just going to ask, did you did you have some butterfly kisses with a stranger? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and that stranger was full of E. coli? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, personal news. Yeah, we kids are going back to school soon, and so we are trying to get in. Uh, we try to do date nights, so I try to do one on ones with my boys and just do whatever they want. It's usually the most ridiculous things that they that they want to do, but this time I decided to to make the the jump, and I got my three older boys because my youngest is not tall enough. Uh, to go to Lasertron together, and oh my God, Mike, um, I have bruises <laughs> from Lasertron, but the one in Henrietta, New York, that's where we went, and it was wild. Uh, I had so much fun. I felt like a kid again, but <laughs> when we left there, I, I knew I was going to get, I had like a heat intolerance or something. I just, I get drenched when I do it sports. So I had like a, a handkerchief with me mm -hmm. uh, to like, you know, dab myself as I go. And I, we were leaving this place and I was running around so much with that heavy gear on. I was dehydrated and my boys, I said, Hey, we're going to go get milkshakes afterwards. We go to Red Robin. Their milkshake machine was down, but I think they tried to do it anyways. And it was, the milkshakes were just not good. Yeah. And didn't my boys, our boys are very vocal on anything, mm -hmm. yours included. They were just like, these milkshakes aren't the worst. These are horrible. No, I don't know how cookies yeah. and cream, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they were right. They were pretty freaking horrible. But I'm sitting there and I put my head down and my kids were like, are you okay, dad? I'm like, guys. 
daddy does not feel good. I need some sugar and some water ASAP. And they're like, okay. And so they were just sitting there like good little kids, not talking. I kept saying like, please talk amongst yourselves. Don't, don't worry about me. Uh, it took me a while to recover from that. I felt like it was a uh, double session soccer season in high school, uh, which tells me that I need to get on the Peloton more. Sounds good. Yeah. Exercise is always a benefit. If, uh, <laughs> if Lasertron does you in, that's probably a good indicator. <laughs> well, that's fun. I'm, I'm glad I, I do like the idea of making sure you're getting one on t- one time with each kid. I, I try to do that. I don't do it enough. My middle kids always get neglected. But yesterday, we, uh, my wife and I took the youngest shopping because now we're getting to the age where the other three can stay home. So we just took the youngest shopping. He got a cake pop at Starbucks and it was it was good quality time. So that's good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you. This is White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, this is Mike and John. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>